Hello and welcome to another episode of Virtual Legality. I'm your host, Richard Hogue, managing member of the Hogue Law Business Law Firm of Northville, Michigan. And today we're going to talk about friend of virtual legality company Gearbox Software. I say friend because they have appeared in many videos over the course of our two plus years running this particular channel and series. But we are not actually going to be talking about their enigmatic and somewhat controversial CEO, Randy Pitchford, today, or at least not as the focal point of this video. Instead, the news today is that Gearbox Software joins a long line of video game companies that has now been purchased, not by Microsoft, not by Sony, but instead by the Embracer Group. And if that name doesn't ring a bell, I don't blame you. I've had some conversations with some people today that said that name didn't ring a bell to them. This is the group that formerly confused the THQ brand name by having a THQ development arm and a THQ holding company and all these various things. When so many reports got things wrong about their actual corporate structure, they changed their name to Embracer Group, but they have been very active in acquisitions now for at least a couple of years. Now, I bring up this article because this was the article I saw this morning that talked about the deal and which I knew was immediately wrong on a headline basis. Embracer Group acquires Borderlands maker Gearbox Entertainment for $1.3 billion. Now, there's a couple of things that happen here. I have talked about mergers and acquisitions in the past. I'm a corporate lawyer. I grew up in the law doing mergers and acquisitions, doing venture capital fundings, doing those kinds of things. And this top line item is not that unusual for journalistic outlets. They like to take whatever the maximum amount of money could possibly be, put it in the headline and say something like this. It's not usually this egregious. Borderlands maker Gearbox Entertainment did not sell itself for $1.3 billion as of today. And we will talk about why. It might potentially, if all the stars align and everything goes perfectly, make something like that amount of money, but it's still unlikely. And we'll talk about why that is as well. The first thing I wanted to point out though, was that this number is immediately kind of backtracked in the first line of the article. Borderlands maker Gearbox Entertainment said the Embracer Group is acquiring the AAA game studio for up to $1.3 billion. It's like there was a run on letters or something that you couldn't fit up to right here, even though you're using this fourth line. Mm, I don't think so. But it's worth noting because in order to understand this stuff, the reason virtual legality exists is to help folks understand what's happening in the business and law of pop culture, most specifically video games. It's important for people to be able to compare things, right? When Insomniac goes for $200 million and change, when Respawn goes for $400 million and change, and then you see Gearbox here at $1.3 billion, that doesn't check out for what they have in their portfolio. We know they make Borderlands. We know that they publish games, although that's a little bit more under the radar, but it's not a $1.3 billion company as we would think of it when we kind of think about all of these various companies that are being sold. It's not Bethesda, which of course sold for $7.5 billion uh, to Microsoft. That's still under review in the re various regulatory agencies. That might be a video in the future. But so I wound up going out with a tweet that said that is a terrible description of the deal. If you look a little bit further, which we'll be doing in this video, it appears that they were purchased for $350 million or so up front, half of which, by the way, is in stock. That's not cash money into the founders' pockets. And the rest was $1 billion in earnouts. And that's a legal term of art, which is why Ramundo Valdez at Silversmith underscore MX on Twitter said, huh, what does that mean? And I said, ah, that's a virtual legality episode. So we're going to talk about what that means, the deal structure, 
everything that's going into this Gearbox sale right now, as we understand it, not just with this VentureBeat article, but also because Embracer Group, because they are uh, in Europe, in Sweden, I actually think it is, uh, they have more disclosure obligations than you might otherwise see in other transactions. So they actually give a very specific description of what this earnout is, and we can analyze it on the ground as to whether or not we think Gearbox is going to make this money, which we will do as part of this video. The Frisco, Texas-based Gearbox will become a wholly owned subsidiary of the Karlstad, Sweden-based company. The transaction gives Gearbox access to new capital to help it make more games and become a significant part of the Embracer Group, which has 5,500 employees around the world. Now, it is adding Gearbox's team of 550 in Frisco, Texas and Quebec City, Canada to its roster. Gearbox will become Embracer Group's seventh operating group. So they are structuring an entire corporate family of entities for different purposes, for different strategies, and Gearbox will become the new operating group, presumably with a North American bent, as we will see in their own press release, as a somewhat of a staging outpost for potentially more acquisitions uh, in the United States and Canada. Embracer Group made headlines in November when its buying spree surged. The company announced it had acquired 12 game studios and a PR firm, in a single day. And we can actually go look at that article that was done in VentureBeat. And you can see that they flagged that they bought Thinking Ape, Nimble Giant, Madhead, Snapshot, 34 Big Things, Zen Studios, which is one of my personal favorites. I'm a big lover of pinball. They made a lot of Zen pinball games. Uh, They got a lot of licenses that they did with Marvel and Star Wars. Highly recommended. Also, uh, they released a game called Operencia, The Stolen Sun. If you like old school dungeon crawly games, absolutely adored it. One of my top four games uh, of last year, or more specifically 2019. It's still a little bit early in 2021. Highly recommend it. You can get it on sale in a lot of places. In any event, Zen Studios, no longer independent, now owned by Embracer Group, along with a bunch of these other companies. Coffee Stain, perhaps the most notable in the remaining list. But you can see Embracer's strategy is to collect mid-range, low-range, what you might consider as fully independent developers, and they're compiling them into this enormous group of entities, right? They are building something big, and the purposes of which are still a little bit opaque. Those are the new companies that they bought in November, but they've got a lot of big companies, a lot of big franchises under their belt. It's one of the reasons you see remakes of things like Saints Row appearing on various platforms and them trying to leverage out that asset class that they have. And it's a very interesting thing to watch because it's almost a financial roll-up play in the gaming industry of the likes that we don't usually see. This is a purely investment-backed entity that has been grabbing up all these video game companies, making a lot of founders, a lot of CEOs, a lot of stockholders in these smaller companies, a lot of money in the process. But it's a very interesting strategy and is very emblematic of this era of consolidation we now find ourselves in. And with Gearbox gone, with Insomniac gone, with Tencent out there taking majority stakes in various independent companies, with Microsoft always looking, Sony looking, it's going to continue. There's going to be more consolidation, and it will be very interesting to see where the games industry wipes out, uh, winds up, not wipes out. We'll see about that when all is said and done. And at the same time, going back to the article, that Embracer Group announced the Gearbox deal, it also said it was buying Easy Brain, a mobile game maker in Cyprus, for $640 million. Now, I wasn't able to find that particular deal description, but suffice it to say, based on what we see them describing the Gearbox sale as, it's probably not $640 million up front. It's probably something less and with some earnouts. Over the years, 
Gearbox has worked on the Borderlands and Brothers in Arms franchises, and it helped with the development of Half-Life, Counter-Strike, Tony Hawk's Pro Skater, 007 James Bond, and Halo. That's some generous kind of things. You see Half-Life and Counter-Strike uh, mentioned here. They did a lot of help porting and console manufacturing, things along those lines. Obviously, Valve was responsible for those uh, top-line games here. CEO Lars Wingafor's vision of Embracer as an allied partner group committed to fueling and accelerating the ambitions of a series of decentralized, successful entrepreneurial companies while magnifying the collective value and advantages of diversification across the entire group is the most brilliant strategy and design for short, medium, and long-term success in this industry that I have ever encountered in my 30 years in this industry, said Gearbox founder Randy Pitchford in a statement. It's a remarkable set of words, right? This is the kind of thing that you see sitcoms joke about in business school, right? You got decentralized, you've got entrepreneurial, you've got diversification, you've got medium, short, long-term success, all this stuff. What this quote means to me is that when sitting across the table from Randy and the other Gearbox people, Embracer said, we're going to leave you alone and you can continue to run your company. What we're trying to do is more of a financial structuring play. We're not trying to get in there and take over your creative pursuits. Doesn't mean they won't, doesn't mean they can't. Although historically, Embracer doesn't appear to have taken on that role over the past couple of years. So Gearbox said, hey, look, we can take this money, but we've been independent for a long time. We don't want you guys to be running us from Sweden what is your plan? What is the business plan for this company in the future? And apparently they told Randy that we're going to have a decentralized partner group and that's what you're going to operate and we're going to leave you alone. And obviously you can see why that would be attractive to get 300 to potentially $1.3 billion in your pocket while also essentially running the company the way you always have been. So that's not unusual, but you do get quotes like this where Randy Pitchford continues and says, the feeling at Gearbox is that we are just getting started and this transaction is not merely a stimulant for the talent of our employee-owned company, but a propellant for the exciting future we have planned. That's an interesting quote there because employee-owned company is always something that Gearbox has been proud of. They've gone out with their various press releases about it and bonus participation and profit sharing and all these kinds of things. They're very clearly not employee-owned once you're owned by a giant multinational conglomerate in Sweden. But obviously, that messaging hasn't quite changed in Randy Pitchford's mind as of yet. Going from the Embracer side, Gearbox is arguably one of the most creative and valuable independent developers in the world. We believe that the resources offered by Embracer will position Gearbox for significant growth in the years to come. And this is the synergizing your core competencies, right? That's more business school talk, but Embracer's got a lot of money. They've got financial backers. Gearbox has people and game design shops. And Embracer says, hey, if we fuel you with more money and marketing and publishing and synergies across our allied partnership group, then you can make more money for yourselves. You can make more money for us and everybody wins. Of course, it always sounds like that on the first day of an announced merger or acquisition. Gearbox confirmed that Pitchford will continue in his current role as head of the studio, the studio he started in 1999. Embracer Group is the parent company of game businesses with a catalog of over 200 owned franchises. They've been gobbling them up, such as Saints Row, the franchise Goat Simulator, sure, Dead Island, Darksiders, Metro, MX versus ATV, Kingdoms of Amalur, not sure that's a franchise, it's a brand, it's a game, Time Splitters, Satisfactory, Wreckfist, Insurgency, and World War Z. So you get a kind of notion of they're on this kind of double A, between double A AA and triple A, and, and making some good money doing it. 
right? They own uh, THQ Nordic, which they effectively built with the THQ name to do what they wanted it to do. Coke Media, Deep Silver, Coffee Stain, Saber Interactive. And they said the following. This is important stuff when we get into the weeds here. Embracer said that Gearbox generated $123 million in sales for the nine months ended September 30th. For the full calendar year of 2019, Gearbox generated sales of $125.2 million and operational earnings before interest and taxes of $37.7 million. So you've got a nine-month count roughly equal to the prior year. 2020 obviously showed a great deal of growth in video game revenues uh, and, and EBITDA, these earnings before interest and taxes are taken out. But this number, $37.7 million, does not generally support a purchase price of $1.3 billion, right? If you are an acquirer, you go in, you look at what this company is making, you do some models, and you check out how much you think it's going to make in the coming years, and then you roll back and see exactly what you're willing to pay as of right now. If they were to get $1.3 billion, you would expect, just from kind of intuition, that Gearbox would have to be doing a lot better than this in the years immediately after the purchase. And that's what an earnout is designed for, as we will see. Under the deal, here now buried 14 paragraphs or so into the article, Embracer will pay $188 million in cash, $175 million in newly issued Embracer B shares. If Gearbox hits targets for operations, and we'll look at that, it will also get a maximum of $1.01 billion. Of that amount, $360 million will be issued in shares, and the remaining $655 million will be in cash. There's actually a secondary component for operational uh, achievements, what we might call milestones in the practice of law, which we will also take a look at. Then you see there are Description of their portfolio, their publishing, they published Hello Neighbor, We Happy Few, which they wouldn't publish again, I would presume, because that company is now owned by Microsoft, Risk of Rain 2, and Godfall, which I think gets a bum rap. It's not nearly as bad as some people on the internet might otherwise tell you. But where the rubber hits the road is in what this deal actually is. And as I said, fortunately, they actually issued a regulatory press release talking about this specific deal. Now, we will note at the top, this is not for release, publication, or distribution in whole or in part, directly or indirectly, in the United States, which, of course, is where I am located and where YouTube tells me a bunch of the people that watch this channel are located. Now, never mind. This isn't illegal to read or anything like this. This is important from a securities perspective for this company to say this isn't intended to solicit investment in places where we aren't registered, haven't complied with the rules, aren't exempt from those rules or those registrations. So one of the things we have to do is we have to go out there and say, just so we're clear, this isn't for you because we're not allowed to talk to you on these various types of things. Doesn't make it illegal to watch this video. Doesn't make it illegal to read this press release. I could pretty much assure you of that. On with the release. Inside information. Embracer Group has today entered into a merger agreement with U.S.-based the Gearbox Entertainment Company. Gearbox, based in Frisco, Texas and founded in 1999, has been self-funded by the employees from inception. Bootstrapped, no venture capital, no institutional investors. Post-closing, Gearbox will become a seventh operating group as a wholly owned subsidiary of Embracer. Now, if you haven't looked at these things before, that might sound a little bit confusing, right? They say they're entering into a merger agreement. That generally implies that one company is merging into another company, and you wouldn't expect a subsidiary to exist, right? Because Gearbox, you say, well, if they're merging into you, what is happening there? Well, 
Probably what's happening, and they don't actually describe the corporate structure that's happening here, is that Embracer Group is dropping down, let's just call it for purposes of this conversation, 7th Operational Group LLC or Inc. or whatever they wind up wanting to call it. They drop that down, that's owned by them. And then Gearbox merges into that company that is owned by them. You can also structure it in a bunch of different ways. But to suffice it to say, you still call that a merger agreement because the Gearbox entity is merging into something. That's how you acquire the assets. But it's not merging into your parent company. It's not what we think of when we think of something like Blizzard Activision or Activision Blizzard. Instead, it's more along the lines of an acquisition that is accomplished through the corporate structure of a merger. Fun? Fun. Now, Embracer Group references what we saw in that VentureBeat article. Hey, Gearbox made Borderlands. Yay. Brothers in Arms. Okay. And Homeworld. Sure. Gearbox grabbed up Homeworld and they made some nice kind of revamp remasterings. And that might honestly be something that Embracer Group actually caught their eye because that's what they have been doing with their assets as well. So if Gearbox was doing it, there's a certain kind of commonality of purpose that they might have seen in Gearbox. Uh, The day one purchase price amounts to $363 million uh, US, $175 million in shares in the residual and cash. That's that hundred and I think it's 88 million, as we saw referenced in the very late paragraphs of that VentureBeat article. Now, what's important to note here is that cash is king, right? Shares are fine, but you could always buy shares on an open market. So shares are used by a company to avoid liquidity issues, to avoid having to spend too much money in cash that goes out to the founders. And in general, the more you get cash up front, the better the deal is for the sellers. So they agreed to a a pretty close to a half-half split, 175 million uh, and 188 million. You'll see similar splits uh, across the earnouts that we're about to look at. Uh, But it's important to note because when you get a headline like sells for 1.3 billion or even sells for up to 1.3 billion, it might be more useful to think about the cash amount. Shares are great, but as we've learned in the GameStop story, they can be incredibly uh, volatile and you don't exactly know what they're worth at any given moment in time. So cash is generally better. uh, And oftentimes the buyer says, hey, you know, we could buy it in cash, but also we could give you our stock and that doesn't take things out of our coffers directly. Subject to fulfillment of agreed financial and operational targets in the next six years, an additional consideration of maximum USD 1,015 million, that's $1 billion or so to you and me, may be paid, of which a maximum of $360 million in shares will be issued and the residual will be in cash. To earn that maximum consideration, 1,378 million, the accumulated adjusted EBITDA, including expense development costs, must exceed $1.3 billion over six years. Now, there's a lot to unpack there. If you're not used to reading financial statements, EBITDA can be a lot of different things. You can define it in very specific ways in the deal that you're talking about. We are not going to have that language in front of us. Suffice it to say it's your actual profits. It's designed to be a match for what you profited as. If you go back and you look at the VentureBeat article here, you see that Gearbox made $125 million in revenue in 2019, but it's EBITDA, it's operational earnings before interest and taxes, and these won't necessarily match up entirely in the merger agreement, but we can take it as a proxy, was just under $40 million. They spent the difference in paying their people, paying their vendors, doing whatever else they needed to do to get their games out the door. They made $40 million, and this says you get paid your earnouts 
if you instead, over the course of six years, make $1.3 billion. That's obviously a big jump from what they're currently making. And there's some reason to believe that 2020 is just generally going to be higher. But when you read these kinds of things, and you're reporting on them or you're thinking about them, it's worth it to note, oh, do I think that the company is actually going to hit that earnout? And the notion of an earnout is that you get these conditional payments, right? If the company was effectively too much of a deal for you, the sellers don't know exactly what the next couple of years hold. The buyer doesn't know what the next couple of years holds either. And if you've got a difference in valuation, if Randy Pitchford sits across the table from you and says, look, I think my company right now is worth a billion dollars. Why would I take 188 million in cash, some more in shares, and just let you get away with the company. I think it's going to be worth this much, so you owe me more money. Embracer says, well, we're not so sure about that. We'd love for it to be the case. We would love for this asset to be worth that much. If it is worth more than we think right now, let's pay you more if you can hit these certain milestones. It also incentivizes you, right? And incentives are always great. We talk about rowing in the same direction a lot in virtual legality. You want your parties to be incentivized so that you can have that trust and faith that they're going to be going in the direction you want them to go. So you develop these conditional payments. That's what an earnout is. An earnout is saying, hey, you don't get this money as a guarantee, but if you do these certain things, you're going to get more money. You're going to earn it out of the deal. And so when you talk about these kinds of things, it's worth it to evaluate on the actual notions of what they have to do to achieve the earnout. Before we get there, though, I want to talk about a couple of things. Embracer Group is talking to its investors right now, and it's saying, hey, this is the reason we bought Gearbox. You see, background and strategic rationale. A couple of the things jumped out at me. One, they say, hey, they made Borderlands. The Borderlands franchise currently has three blockbuster installments, and the franchise has sold more than 60 million copies to date. That's true, right? Borderlands, very, very popular, but it's also noteworthy in that it's not published by Gearbox. It's published by 2K. And in fact, if we go here and we look at the VGC, the Video Games Chronicle article on this, we get a headline that says Gearbox says it will continue to work with 2K on Borderlands after its sale. 2K is going to make some money on this. In an investor call following the announcement, Gearbox boss Pitchford clarified that this would include working with its long-term publishing partner 2K on quote-unquote known and planned Borderlands content. Asked by VGC to clarify the Borderlands IP ownership situation, Pitchford claimed the franchise was a Gearbox IP, but suggested that 2K has certain rights for the series. Now, we don't get a lot of detail here, but if you've been following along with virtual legality in our read-through of the Raw Fury publishing agreement, Raw Fury being a publisher primarily of independently developed games that revealed their entire game publishing agreement at the end of last year. We're doing a 10-part series going through it. We're through five parts as it stands right now. But one of the sections we looked at was delivering the video game and the rights that Raw Fury maintained in the game, even though the intellectual property was all going to be owned by the developer. Section 7 of their agreement reads as follows. Developer acknowledges that this agreement obligates publisher to perform activities and make financial investments that may benefit developer beyond the scope of this agreement, right? The publisher, Raw Fury in this case, is going to be paying money to develop a video game. They've agreed with the developer that the developer gets to own that intellectual property when all is said and done. So once the developer makes money in the future on using that intellectual property, Raw Fury invested in that and would like to be a participant in that if it looks like it's going to be successful. As developer, with the exception of the rights granted under this agreement, retains all copyrights and all other intellectual property rights in and to the game. So we have a similar situation to what Randy Pitchford has described with respect to Borderlands. Therefore, and in good faith, developer accepts the following. 
During the term of the agreement, publisher, Raw Fury in this case, shall have a right of first refusal for the exclusive worldwide publishing rights to sequels, add-ons, mission packs, and DLCs. Right, okay, we helped invest in you to get Borderlands made. We helped your company pay to get this game out the door. So we get a right of first refusal, another legal term of art that says basically, if you're going to make a Borderlands 4, you have to approach us with the concept and we get the right to deal with you and potentially license it and have another publishing agreement and do all of those things before you go out to another third party, including if this were the term, the acquirer that just purchased your entire company. Because contracts don't go away when you purchase a company. So Gearbox has some kind of contract with 2K to publish Borderlands content. I'm not saying they have this exact term because nothing is going to look exactly alike across publishers. But conceptually, as Randy Pitchford has quote unquote suggested in that VGC article, the 2Ks of the world have some right in their contract to publish sequels or add-ons or mission packs or DLCs. And so even though Gearbox is now going to be an embracer company, what you've got in this particular instance is 2K is still going to get some chunk of the money, some chunk of the royalties for performing a publishing task with which without that contract, the embracer group would be entirely capable of doing. So there is a certain kind of removal of potential profitability in the Borderlands franchise, which is the primary franchise that Gearbox Software makes right now, for at least as long as the contract survives. And we don't know the details about the Gearbox and 2K contract, but we can look at things like the Raw Fury Agreement and see conceptually what that looks like, if only a little bit. The next thing that Embracer Group mentions is the Brother in Arms series, which has sold more than 10 million copies to date. Now, It's worth noting here, I love Brothers in Arms. Brothers in Arms was actually the game that I think really introduced me to Gearbox software. It was a World War II kind of first-person shooter, but with more tactics, more strategy, and more heart than a lot of the first-person shooters that were happening in the early 2000s. Absolutely loved it. But if you go and you look at this list of Brothers in Arms games, you see them effectively ending in really 2008. These follow-on games, 2010, 2014, a canceled Furious 4, are mobile games. Uh, They aren't kind of console follow-ups to those things. And that doesn't mean mobile games can't make you a lot of money. In fact, they can. But it's just an interesting kind of side note to look at Embracer Group, try to give the rationale why Gearbox is a good purchase, and coming up with a very, if not weak, kind of shallow pool of assets that Gearbox has right now, even though we know they can make good games and Borderlands is a big selling high ticket item. Gearbox Publishing, they also reference, has over the past few years established itself on the North American scene with publishing of Hello Neighbor, We Happy Few, Risk of Rain 2, and Godfall. And that might well be the case. I don't see Gearbox Publishing on a ton of the games uh, that I play, but certainly they've been moving in that direction. And you can see overall in this last paragraph what Embracer thinks about both of those qualities. Through the merger, Embracer onboards one of the leading independent companies within the games industry with proven experience of creating long-lasting franchises and delivering strong original content. Gearbox has been around for a long time. That in of itself is worth something in the video game industry. I cannot deny that one bit. The merger will enable collaboration within Embracer in terms of development, publishing, technology, IPs, as well as a platform for further mergers and acquisitions in North America. 
Gearbox might well be the, the head, the vanguard of more Embracer purchases in North America. Gearbox will become the seventh operating group and continue to operate as an independent studio focusing on premium, interactive gaming experiences. Always unclear when you get words like this in a release like this what premium means. A lot of people might take it to mean console-focused, hardcore gamer-focused. Doesn't necessarily mean that. What they mean is they were going to make a lot of money with Gearbox. Don't worry about it, investors. And they might well do. The transaction in brief is where the fun really is. If you like the math in these kinds of things and why the VentureBeat article is so wrong in terms of its headline, in which you get this upfront consideration, which we've now covered in three different ways, 363 million, 188 million in cash, 175 million in shares. And then we get to talk about the earnouts. So right now we've got Gearbox getting 363 million. We won't separate cash and stock. Just note that cash is more valuable than stock in general, unless you think Embracer is just going to absolutely explode and you like the investment. The operational earnout is the one I would say is the most likely to actually happen, right? This is up to 300 million US dollars over six years, 150 million in cash, 150 million in shares. When do you get it if you are Gearbox? Upon the completion of certain projects and that certain key employees remain employed by Gearbox six years following completion of the transaction. This is a lock-in, right? So when we looked at that article and they said, hey, Randy Pitchford is going to stay on as head of the studio. Chances are he and a couple of other people at the studio have actually agreed as part of this agreement that they will stay on for a set period of time in order for the company to earn this cash and money. Now, this is hitting milestones. Now, that's always somewhat dicey in the world of video games, but chances are whatever they agreed upon here is something that is achievable over the course of six years. And certainly it's achievable when everybody at your company could potentially benefit for $300 million, right? And so when you look at this kind of operational earnout, this is the kind of thing that I don't mind if you add it directly to the consideration. If you want to say, effectively, Gearbox definitely sold itself for 660 odd million dollars, I don't, I'm not bothered by that. And that makes a lot of sense. It's that kind of size company. That's a, that's a number that doesn't jump off the page. But again, You've got Randy Pitchford potentially sitting on the other side of the table. He says, I want earnouts. I think this is going to make a fortune. I probably also want places like VentureBeat to put a billion dollars in their headline. What does that look like? Well, they've got two separate tranches, another fun legal word. It just means two separate buckets in which these payments could be made. The first is up to $180 million in cash and up to $210 million in shares. When do they get that? If the accumulated adjusted EBITDA over four years from the date that they buy the company exceeds $335 million, right? And we can go and we can look at this and we can say, all right, 37.7 million was 2019. Chances are they're going to do a little bit better than that, but let's use 37.7 million as a proxy. And we can see that, okay, if we take, they have to hit $335 million, divided by four. They have to hit about $83.75 million on average. They have been doing 37.7. And that means that they would have to do about two times, a little bit more than two times better than they were doing in 2019 on average for the four years after this purchase actually happens in order to get some amount of that money. And if we look a little bit further, we see that financial earnout one will be triggered and will range from 210 million to 390 million, 
based on whether or not they hit 335 million or 621 million in those first four years, which is a lot of numbers, right? I can feel some of your eyes glazing over already, but it means that if they do 2.2 million or 2.2 times their EBITDA for this four-year period, they're going to get a bunch of stock. They're going to get a lot of stock as part of this deal. But if they can hit 621 million, then you've got 155 million in EBITDA on average over those four years. And again, if we take that 37.7 million baseline, they would have had to have essentially quadrupled their earnings in this first four-year period to get to that 621 million. You also see kind of the rules for how this works, where you see that shares go out first, then cash. If earned, the financial earnout one will be payable in shares until the aggregate amount is $210 million. That's the full share bucket. And then all amounts in excess of that will be paid in cash. So if they only come in at two times for the four years after they purchase it, they only get more shares, no more cash. If they somehow get to between two times and four times, and I am, of course, trying to make these numbers easier. They're a little bit off for that. I think it's 2.2 and 4.11 and all these various things. But if they get to that higher ratio of increase in earnings, a bigger growth curve, then they can start getting cash on top of those shares. Similarly, the second bucket is not on a four-year period, a four-year runway, but is on that six-year runway that we saw referenced in the VentureBeat article. In this one, they can get up to $325 million more in cash if their EBITDA over six years exceeds $702 million and goes between $702 million and $1.3 billion. Those are obviously huge increases in what they've actually been doing so far, right? 1,304 uh, over six means they'd have to be making 217 million EBITDA after the actual earnings, the profitability of the company. And, and that's 217 million against 37.7 is, is something like almost six times what they were making in 2019. Now, who knows with the pandemic in 2020, we don't know. And one of the reasons you see these earnouts is because of that difference in valuation. One of the reasons you can see a difference in valuation is not because Randy Pitchford's being crazy or Embracer's being crazy, but because in 2020, the pandemic has screwed up everybody's financials to such a great extent that nobody knows exactly what these companies are worth in a non-pandemic scenario or in a pandemic scenario, if it continues for one or two or God forbid, three more years. So you get these earnouts that say, let's split the risk. If you make this much money, yes, we owe you another 300 million in cash because your assets were worth a lot more than we thought they were on day one. But if you take nothing else away from this video at all, it means very definitively that Gearbox did not sell for $1.3 billion as of today. In fact, it's hard to imagine that they will get up to close to a 600% growth in a six-year period following this purchase. Embracer says it's great if it happens. In fact, Embracer says, look, we've got these other assets. We've got these other support capabilities. We've got these other things we can do for you. And so you're going to have a natural growth because as we're telling our investors, we've got all these synergies, right? We've got all these competencies to synergize on in our allied partnership group on a decentralized basis. Yeah. And so Gearbox can say, yeah, okay, if we're going to make that much money, then we will make that much money and we will get those earnouts paid. But as I said, at the end of the day, it's not $1.3 billion. It's still a very worthwhile news item for today in the world of video game, you can expect these kinds of news items with more consolidation, more acquisitions in the future because there is now effectively a run on the banks 
right? The situation where you've got a draft position in some kind of sport and one position keeps being taken up and everybody starts to go after quarterbacks or running backs or wide receivers or whatever the equivalent is in your life. That is something like what we are seeing here in the world of video games. And it wouldn't surprise me if we get a lot more acquisitions before all is said and done. The last thing I wanted to leave you with, not on this topic, but on a separate one, uh, is that I want to give a disclosure. I'm actually writing a regular column now for Video Games Chronicle, VGC. You saw it referenced in this video. Look at that ugly mug. Richard Hogue is an attorney at Hogue Law. I talk about this stuff, and our very first article went up talking about, as you might know if you've been in virtual legality for a while, the fact that streamers are right to be concerned about the games industry's video policies, talking about the Capcom video policy uh, that went out late last month, and which you can see in the virtual legality episode, which VGC is generously putting in the articles uh, that I am helping to write for them. So if you're interested in helping support the channel, check that out. Make me look good uh, to the folks over there that people are interested in what I have to say about these topics. I'd very much appreciate it. Otherwise, if you want to support the channel in other ways, we've got a Patreon now. We're accepting Streamlabs tips and donations. We've got a store. Reasonable Minds can differ. I think they're really cool shirts uh, that you might otherwise be interested in. But if none of that interests you, the best thing you can do for the channel is just to subscribe and tell your friends. Every single little bit helps and every little bit is very much appreciated by me and by the channel in general. Otherwise, if you caught this on YouTube, thank you so much for watching. And if you listen to it as a podcast, thank you so much for listening. And I will catch you on the very next episode of Virtual Legality. Virtual Legality is a YouTube video series with audio podcast versions presented as commentary and for education and entertainment purposes only. It does not constitute legal advice and does not create an attorney-client relationship. If you have legal questions about the topics discussed, please consult your own legal counsel.